Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Good evening, children of the night, and perhaps it's a particularly good evening. Sometime last week, we either did or didn't win a Hugo Award. Just in case the clues from the previous episodes didn't let you know, how we record is usually as far in advance as we can get things. So as far as this recording, I don't know if we'll have won or not, but let's celebrate a bit. Either we will celebrate our victory at the Hugo Awards, or we will celebrate whoever did. So let's toast to them. May the quality horror podcast of the internet endure until the Elder Gods return to our solar system and unleash indescribable terrors on the new endless night. I'm pretty sure I put a few of Jose Cuervo's grandkids through college. Let's move on to our fiction for the night. We have one story for the evening, and it comes from Peter Crowther. We've heard from Peter, oh, I think about three times over the years. The first one being all the way back in episode 15, quite a while ago. Already the recipient of various awards for his writing and editing, Peter Crowther cemented his long-term place in the field with the introduction in 1998 of P.S. Publishing, now one of the most highly respected publishers in the field of horror, fantasy, and science fiction. Starting in 1999, with just four novellas from Graham Joyce, James Lovegrove, Kim Newman, and Michael Marshall Smith, P.S. is now putting out between 30 and 40 titles annually. Working with the likes of Ramsey Campbell and Ray Bradbury, nine titles apiece, and Stephen King, two titles, Stephen Erickson, seven titles, and Joe Hill, whose first book, 20th Century Ghosts, 
was one of 2005's surprise big sellers. P.S. went on to receive the British Fantasy Society's annual reward for Best Specialty Press, seven years running, until Pete withdrew the imprint from further consideration. That award is now the P.S. Publishing Award for Excellence in a Specialty Press, which now comes with, courtesy of Pete, an additional award of 250 sterling. Aside from P.S., Pete's work has been widely translated, and his short stories have been adapted for TV on both sides of the Atlantic and collected in the longest single note, Lonesome Roads, Songs of Leaving, Cold Comforts, The Space Between the Lines, The Land at the End of the Working Day, and The Upcoming Jewels in the Dust. He is the co-author, with James Lovegrove, of Escardi Gap and the Hand that Feeds, the author of Forever Twilight, science fiction slash horror cycle, and by Wizard Oak. He lives and works with his wife and business partner, Nikki, on the Yorkshire coast of England. And now we will hear Peter Crowther's Leaves. One. Sunday afternoon. You know, Jack Fenshaw said, shaking his head as he blundered into the kitchen, no sooner have I got the damn place tidied up, but the wind blows it all around again. With some effort, he pushed the outside door closed and pointed out of the kitchen window to the grassed-over yard that stretched down from the back of the house for about a half acre through small groves of fruit trees now bare for the autumn and around coniferous bushes and plants. Look at it out there, not fit for man or beast. Sally wiped her hands on her apron and leaned on the sill. More like March than October, she said. You know, March winds, April showers. Well, March and April combined, if you ask me, Jack muttered. Nobody was asking him, but he thought he'd give us two pennies worth anyway. He tugged at the sleeve of his waterproof jacket and breathed in, taking in all the smells of the kitchen. Something smells good, he said. Yes, well, Sally turned around and waved an arm at the door leading into the hallway. Someone's not going to get any lunch if they bring all the garden into my kitchen. Sally liked to call it her garden out there. She said it gave it more class than calling it just a yard. Oh, the garden, Jack said in exasperation. I've only just stepped inside this past... Sally pointed over to the floor in front of the glass door, the closed glass door, leading from the kitchen into the sitting room. There, in a little clutter, were six or seven leaves, forming a small mosaic on the carpet. I haven't even been into the sitting room, Jack protested. He looked over at the sofa and saw Jack Jr. leaning on the arm watching the TV. Hmm, Sally said. Well, they must have got there all by their little selves then. Naughty, naughty leaves, she added in the little girl voice she used from time to time. Jack stared at them, glared at them more like, and shook his head. I'll get rid of them, he said. He opened the door to the sitting room. You been outside, J.J.? Uh-uh. Jack Jr. shook his head. You sure, son? Jack asked as he gathered up the leaves. Uh-huh. Hmm. 
2, Sunday night. You know, honey, Sally was saying when Jack came wandering into the bedroom stark naked, you need to be more careful. She was sitting up in bed, propped against the pillows with a paperback novel tented on the eiderdown covering her stomach. He looked across at the window, held his arms out in front of him, and shook his hips. Well, it's my goddamn house, and if anyone's looking in here when they shouldn't be... No, not the window. She nodded towards the door to the small area they both accepted as Sally's shoe room. The floor. The floor? He looked first at Sally and then at the floor by the shoe room door. Leaves, he said. Leaves, he corrected. What the hell are leaves doing in here? Sally looked thoughtful and stroked an imaginary beard contemplatively. I wonder. Maybe they blew in through the window, Jack said, not unreasonably, as he walked across to pick up the offending objects. Sally lifted her book and moved her glasses down onto her nose. I only just opened it, honey. Well, Jack said, reaching down for the leaves. Well, there's no wind. He scrumpled up the leaves in his hand and took them out of the bedroom. Was it open earlier? No, Sally said. Been closed all day. Too cold. He dumped the leaves in the basket under the wash basin, caught sight of his reflection and pulled his stomach in. He turned to the side, holding his breath and ran a hand over his stomach. He needed to lose a few pounds, no question. Have you checked your shoes, Sally said. Jack turned off the bathroom light and padded back into the bedroom. My shoes? You probably walked them in. Jack nodded. Maybe, but I took them off downstairs. There was no comment forthcoming on that, so he went around to his side of the bed and plopped down onto it. You said good night to Jack Jr.? He slapped his forehead. Shit, I forgot. He got up again and headed for the door. Going to be time to get up before I get into bed at this rate, he muttered as he disappeared back into the dark hallway. Jack turned on the small nightlight in the hallway table and tiptoed to his son's room. He pushed open the door carefully until a thin sliver of faint light expanded all the way toward Jack Jr.'s wardrobe. The usual clutter of an eight-year-old's room was everywhere, and Jack had to choose his steps very carefully. Either that or switch on the overhead light, which risked waking Jack Jr. and thus involving Sally and maybe even Jack in a long stint of glasses of milk, double chalk chip cookies, and Uncle Wiggly stories. Finally, Jack arrived by the side of the bed, the darkness now seeming less impenetrable, and he checked the sheets. Jack Jr. was on his stomach, but with his left leg hiked up beneath him, giving the boy an appearance of being frozen in motion. Temporariness, Jack thought. Temporariness? Was there such a word? Jack, Sally's voice hissed out of their bedroom, it's late. I know, Jack hissed back. He pulled the sheets down from J.J.'s nose and eyes and tucked them beneath the boy's jaw and chin. 
J.J. let out a soft moan and made a smacking sound with his lips before turning his head the other way on the pillow. That's when Jack saw the leaf. At first he didn't know what it was. It was just a blob on the pillow right where J.J.'s face had been, right where his mouth had been, in fact. Jack thought maybe it was a tooth and the darkness of it was blood, but no, it was soft and mushy. Food, maybe, Jack thought at first, and he grimaced as he picked it up gingerly between thumb and forefinger. With the object in the palm of his left hand, Jack moved around to the other side of J.J.'s bed to check the boy's mouth. All seemed okay. Honey? I know, I know, I'm coming. He looked down at his son and felt a sudden knotting in his stomach. Night, big guy, he whispered. Is he okay? Sally asked when Jack walked into their bedroom. She saw him frowning at the little blob in his hand. What's that? I think it's a leaf, he said. A leaf? God damn it, Jack, you... For Christ's sake, Sally, will you leave off about my fucking shoes? He glared at her, having snapped his head around in her direction. Okay? Hey, hold on there. I was just... I don't give a shit what you were just. Something's going on here. Something's going on where, Jack? I don't under... J.J. He's bringing leaves into the house and leaving them around. He looked across at Sally and felt his frown disappearing. Then he saw Sally start to grin. Don't you mean... Leafing them around? <laughs> Jack started sniggering and Sally held a finger up to her mouth. Shh! <laughs> Maybe he's just branching out, Jack said, and they sniggered some more, Sally nipping her nose to stop their snorts. When they stopped laughing, Jack slid into bed. Sally's legs felt warm on his cold feet. She reached out and smoothed his hair down. "'Sorry I snapped at you,' he said, his eyes already drifting closed. "'That's okay,' she said. "'I'll have a word with him tomorrow.' Jack nodded. "'Tomorrow,' he said, his voice barely heard above the moan of the wind outside the bedroom window. Three, Monday morning. "'Could you pass the syrup, J.J.?' "'Sure.' Jack Jr. lifted the syrup jar, grimaced at the stickiness of it, and wiped it down with his napkin before handing it to his father. Jack looked around at Sally. She shrugged as he accepted the jar and said, Thanks, son, but was unable to hide the surprise. What's up, Dad? J.J. asked. Jack shook his head. Up? Crisis? What crisis? Nothing's up. He poured syrup over his flapjacks and set the bottle back on the table. Anything up with you, honey? Jack shouted over his shoulder. Mmm, good pancakes, he said. Flapjacks, sweetie, Sally corrected. You like them? Jack grunted. Affirmative. Good, Sally said. More coming if you want them. Oh, you betcha. 
Jack took another bite and watched his son lift a fork with just a few strings of pancake on it up to his mouth. He slipped the fork inside and swallowed. Make sure you chew well, J.J., Jack said. I am, Dad. No, you're not. Now chew it. Chew it well. I'm chewing. I'm chewing. J.J.? Yes, Mom? You want more? Oh, thanks, but no, Mom. I'm fine with these. Thanks. I'm not too hungry this morning. It's because you're not chewing. Jack Jr. didn't respond. Jack waited until his son returned his attention to the book open alongside his plate on the breakfast table and did a theatrical, What the fuck's going on? expression Sally's way, managing to jab a finger in the direction of the book and mouthing, Book! dramatically. Are you sure, honey? I don't want you should. I'm sure, Mom, really. You've been eating between meals, son. Jack asked, around a flapjack and an entire rasher of bacon, the syrup dribbling down his chin. Dad, I only just got out of bed. Jack nodded, took another mouthful of flapjacks. No midnight treats, he said, spraying globs of flapjack onto the table. Honey, can you not speak while you're eating? No way we're going to get Jack Jr. to understand etiquette unless we teach by example. Jack was tempted to reply with his mouth still full, but thought better of it. He nodded instead and winked across at his son. J.J. frowned quizzically and turned his attention back to his plate, pushing his fork away from him amidst the wreckage of abandoned flapjack. "'I'm done, Mom!' he shouted. Okay, you all washed? J.J. got to his feet and pushed his chair under the table, neatly, ignorant of his father's astonishment. Yes, all done. Back packed for school? Yes, back packed. Just teeth to clean and I'm finished. Okay, honey, Sally said. She slid her own plate onto the table and sat down. I'm looking forward to these myself, she said. Jack was still nodding, moving his attention between his wife and his son, when J.J. nodded at him and left the kitchen. "'You see that?' Jack hissed. "'Oh, sorry,' he said. He wiped a stringy piece of bacon from the maple syrup bottle. "'See what, honey?' Sally said with a sigh, as she forked a piece of flapjack into her mouth. "'You don't want any syrup?' She shook her head. See what, she repeated when she swallowed the first mouthful. J.J. What about him? Doesn't he seem... Doesn't he seem different to you? Sally laid her fork down and poured a cup of coffee. Different how? I don't know, just different. He put his chair under the table. Now that sounds like a hanging offense if ever I... And the way he said yes instead of the usual grunt. Sally shrugged. Maybe he's trying to turn over a new... Jack said, don't say it. But it was too late. And even later than he realized. Four, Monday afternoon. You okay, Jack? I'm fine. Fine as wine. 
Yeah? Lou Stanley leaned back in his chair at the Parkside Realty office. Nothing bothering you? Jack made a face, shrugged, and shook his head. Uh Uh-uh. He suddenly thought of J.J. and nodded. No, nothing bothering me. Then he said, Well, and left it at that. Something is bothering you. Anything to do with the Benson woman and... Nah, I couldn't give two hoots about her and that wacko husband of hers. They don't want the house, they don't want the house. Simple as that. Lou nodded. She's a piece of work, though, isn't she? You said a mouthful. Mouthful? Did you catch that overbite? Jack nodded. She's like to finish a sandwich from the back forwards. Yeah, Lou snorted a little laugh. Must be good in the sack, that's all I can say. Jack smiled. Yeah. So, what is it? It's just Jack Jr., that's all. What, is he sick? No, he's just acting up, I guess. Hey, Lou said, arching your shoulders, arms outstretched, palms up. He's... he's what, eight, nine years old? He's eight. He's eight years old, for Christ's sakes. We all kicked against the pricks at eight years old, Jack. Lou looked at his watch. Geez, Louise, it's ten after. Martha will be waiting for me. He gave a wincing smile. Out on the street. She's come down to meet you? Lou shrugged. Says she wants to take me for a walk. Sounds like she's wanting to take her billfold for a walk, more like. Uh Uh-huh. She wants to go out to Pendle Woods. She says she wants to show me the fall. Can't you see it from your bedroom window? Lou shook his head. She says she wants to take me out amongst the leaves. 5. Monday Evening Jack? Jack looked up and saw Sally at the kitchen window. Yeah? Dinner's almost ready. He waved. Okay. Sally remained there at the window and watched Jack crouch down again, intent on something in the soil. Jack, I mean it's ready now. Jack waved again, this time without looking up. He continued to turn the leaf over and over in his hand. Okay, it was just a leaf. Jack was no naturist, or was that someone who played beach ball without his pants on? Jack could never remember. But he knew a leaf when he saw one. But at the same time, it was different. He couldn't exactly place why it was different, but it was. He looked around on the soil. They all were. There were several leaves here on Sally's prized rockery area, and they seemed different from the other leaves he had seen. Jack pulled his pocket diary from his pants and carefully laid two of the leaves between the pages. While Jack was washing his hands and watching Jack Jr., still reading the damn book, what was that book anyways? Sally said, So, what's interesting in the garden? She placed a covered pot of sweet potatoes and greens on a wooden mat and returned to the oven. I don't think I ever saw you spend so much time out there. Jack dried his hands. I was out there around five minutes. 
Exactly, Sally snapped with a smile. Jack Jr., have you washed your hands? Yes, ma'am, Jack Jr. said. Sally turned to Jack, her mouth open and her eyes already misting over. Yes, ma'am, she mouthed. Jack looked at astonishment from his son to his wife and back to his son again. What the hell was it with the ma'am routine? Good boy, Sally said. I washed mine, too, Jack said in a smarmy voice. Ma'am, he added. As they ate dinner, Jack said, Phil Murray's coming around. This evening? Jack nodded. I thought we were going to watch some TV. Jack shrugged, chewed on a piece of meatloaf, and prepared another forkful. You can still watch TV. I thought we were going to watch it together. Jack poured water, took a drink. Well, we can watch it together when he's gone. Sally lifted her glass. Jack Jr., drink some water, she said. Jack waited for a dripping rendition of Yes, ma'am, but his son simply lifted the glass, took a drink, and returned it to the table. He never leaves on time, Sally said, setting her glass down again. We never give him a time to leave, honey, Jack said. Sally snorted. Well, maybe we should. They ate in silence for a minute or so. Why is he coming around? You don't like him, do you? I didn't say that. You're put... Well, it doesn't sound like you like him. That's just your interpretation. I'm through here, J.J. announced. Jack and Sally looked over at their son as though he had just appeared, and then, at almost exactly the same second, they looked down at his plate. Honey, you've hardly touched your dinner. J.J. nodded, gave a weak smile. I guess I wasn't hungry. You sure you're not snacking? Jack asked. Are you sick? No, Mom, I'm fine. I'm just not hungry. He waited for a few seconds while his parents continued to stare at his plate and then asked if it was okay for him to leave the table. I swear that boy is becoming a young gentleman, Sally whispered when Jack Jr. had left the room. He's eight years old, Sally, Jack said. He reached over for J.J.'s plate and shoveled some of the food onto his own plate. You think you should? What? Well, maybe he's coming down with something. The germs will be in the food. Too late now, Jack announced cheerfully around a mouthful of meatloaf, potatoes, and broccoli. When Jack had finished, he sat back on his chair and picked up one of his teeth. He'd gotten a piece of stringy broccoli between two teeth on the lower left side. So why is he coming around? You never said. Phil? Oh, I asked him to come over and look at the garden. Yeah? Why is that? I said we'd have a look at it next year. He charges far too... No, I'm not going to have him do anything. I want him to look at the leaves. Sally almost choked on her food. You asked him to come around, she said after drinking most of her water to ease the coughing. To look at leaves? He's going to think you're out of your tree as well. Jack couldn't help smiling at that. 
I know. I could have taken them around, but I saw him down at the mall this morning. We got to talking. You know how he is. Hey, I haven't seen you in the delightful Sally in a coon's age, and... Oh, come on. He did not say that. Jack held his hand over his heart. I swear, I swear he said that. So I said for him to come around. Jack shrugged. And what? Come around and see the delightful Sally in her natural goddamn habitat? I'll look after him. I said there was something I wanted him to look at. So you didn't mention the leaves, right? I didn't mention the leaves. Sally got to her feet and started gathering plates. Jack, you are out of your mind. He patted her backside as she moved across to the breakfast counter. Yeah, but I married you, didn't I? Only because nobody else... Bing bong! Well, that'll be him. Tell him I'm not here. Jack headed for the door. Thought, where should I say you are? Well, you'll think of something. When he emerged from the room into the hallway, Jack Jr. was sitting at the top of the stairs, watching the door. 6. Monday night. He said, what? You heard me. He didn't know what they were. Sally huffed and pulled the sheets tighter around her knees. I always said that. Yeah. What did you always say, honey? We all want to hear it, don't we, audience? Jack swept the sheets back, exposing Sally's nakedness, and rolled into the bed almost on top of her. I always said, Sally continued, that Phil Murray was overrated, and now he's proved it. Honey, it's just a few leaves. He can't know every... That's his job, Jack. He can know everything when it's his damn job. You don't like him, do you? That's not the... No, come on, Sal, admit it. You don't like him. Sally let out a big sigh. Okay. Okay. I don't like him. Jack nodded and reached for his book. Are you satisfied now? I'm satisfied. Good. Jack opened his book and felt Sally watching him. He turned to face her. What? You didn't ask me why. I didn't ask you why what? Why I don't like him, Phil Murray. Jack tented his book and clasped his hands behind his neck. Okay, so tell me, why don't you like Phil? He came on to me, that's why. What? You heard me. When? When was this? A long time back. It doesn't matter. It damn well does matter, Jack blustered. Was it, was it this year? Sally shook her head. Last year? More head shakes. It was years ago now. But we were married, yeah? She nodded. We were married, yes. Well, I'll be damned, Jack sat up in bed. The double-dealing bastard. Jack, I want you to promise you won't say anything. Hey, I haven't seen you or the delightful Sally in a coon's age. The double-dealing... Well, now you know. Sally lifted her book and flicked through to find her place. Now you know why I don't like him. Now I know, Jack slumped back. 
Honey? Yeah? Have you said goodnight to Jack Jr.? Jesus H. Christ, Jack snarled. He threw the sheets back and stomped out of the bedroom. The hallway was darker than usual. Jack looked at the bathroom and saw that the door was open, as usual. Must be that there was no moon. He flicked on the small light and tiptoed to his son's room, pushing the door open slowly. The darkness in here was even worse, impenetrable. Jack had to concentrate to find his way to J.J.'s bed. Then, just as he was leaning over where he knew the bed was, reaching out to make sure that his son's sheets were not likely to smother the boy during the night, Jack Jr. said in a very muffled voice, I'm over here, Dad. Shit. Pardon my French. No, that would be mer, J.J. mumbled. Jack stared into the gloom over by the window and slowly made out the outline of Jack Jr. What are you doing? You should be asleep, Jack said, saying the word softly. There was no answer. He moved around the bed and over to the window. J.J. was sitting on the edge of his desk looking down into the yard. Couldn't you sleep? Jack Jr. stood up and moved around his father. The boy's PJs must be too starchy, Jack thought, because they rustled as he went by. When he came around to the other side of the window, Jack could now see his face. He was smiling. J.J.? Maintaining the smile, Jack Jr. opened his mouth, and a thick wadge of chewed blackness fell onto the floor with a dull plop. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Seven. Tuesday morning. One. Maybe he was sleepwalking? 
was all Sally could think of to contribute, and even that was phrased as a question. Sally and Jack were back in bed after dealing with their son, washing his mouth out and bedding him down with a paracetamol, a glass of milk, and three almond cookies from the Safeways over in Forest Plains. Sleep eating, more like, Jack said. His heart was finally slowing down, but his mouth was dry and he didn't feel like sleep at all. A quick glance at the clock told him it was now after two in the morning, just four and a half hours before the alarm went off to start him off on another day. As though reading his mind, Sally said, "'Couldn't you take the day off, honey? Call in sick?' "'I mean,' Jack said, "'why would he want to eat leaves? Doesn't, doesn't make any sense.' "'No, we're just too busy,' he said, and he left it at that. The truth of the matter, however, and Jack most probably wouldn't have admitted this if questioned, was that he didn't want to be around the house and the yard.' He thought back to Phil Murray's, the two-timing, underhanded bastard, evaluation of the leaves. He said he'd never seen one like it before, Jack announced suddenly, thinking out loud. Honey? Sally's voice sat sleepily from next to him. That bastard Murray, he said he'd never seen that leaf before. Said it wasn't a birch or an oak, not a beech or a larch. He ran through all these goddamn tree names and just wrote them off. Jack snapped his fingers. Just like that. He doesn't know everything, honey, Sally whispered as she stroked his hip under the covers. It felt good. Soon, Jack's eyes started to close. The last thing he saw before sleep took him to its bosom was the curtains billowing and the wind from the open window. He hoped it wouldn't bring any leaves into the bedroom. 8. Tuesday morning, 2. How do I feel? Jack crashed down onto a chair at the table. I feel like shit is how I feel. You'll be better after a cup of coffee. Do you want a cup, honey? Jack nodded. Any sound from J.J.? Uh-uh, Sally said. She walked across to the oven. Quiet as the... She held off from saying grave and instead offered... Scrambled eggs with your pancakes? Jack wiggled a finger in his ear. The shower seemed to have left a residue of soap in there this morning and pulled a pancake from the plate. Sally chuckled as she brought over the eggs and bacon. What's funny? Jack asked, heaping food onto his plate. I was just thinking, maybe if J.J. was able to drink wine, it would be leaf frau milk. Jack paused, his heaped fork midway to his plate, and closed his eyes and groaned. Oh, jeez, that's terrible. Sally chuckled as she moved Panza to the dishwasher. I know, she said, clearly proud of it. Funny, though, Jack said, and he gave a little supporting snigger. <laughs> leaf frau milk. I know, Sally said again, and they both laughed some more. There was not to be any more laughter, though. The course was set. 9. Tuesday evening. 
When he came into the house from work, Jack saw that his son was reading a book. Again with the book, Jack thought. Where's your mom? She's out in the garden. Jack felt a little shift in his chest, like a wind pain that didn't fully materialize. Someone just walked over your grave, Jack, a small voice whispered in his inner ear. Yeah, Jack said, watching his son nod at him, the boy's eyes remaining tight on Jack's eyes. What's she doing in the garden? Um, gardening? Jack nodded, thrusting his hands into his pants pockets. Yeah, that makes sense, he said. Jack Jr. did not respond and simply lowered his head. Jack turned to the kitchen window that looked down the garden and watched the tree branches waving in the breeze. The branches were completely bare now, he noticed. He couldn't see Sally anywhere. There was that same soft rustling sound from behind him, the one he had heard last night in J.J.'s bedroom, and yet, for some reason that he could not fathom, Jack was reluctant to turn around. Instead, he said, "'Good book?' "'Yes,' Jack Jr. said from right next to him. Although he would have been unable to explain why, Jack was delighted that the rustling had stopped. Without moving his head, Jack watched his son from the corner of his eye. What had that damn rustling been? It had reminded him of something, but he couldn't quite put his finger on just what it was. When Sally appeared from behind the old wooden shed at the bottom of the garden, Jack flinched. You okay, Dad? I'm fine, Jack said. Am I okay? Jeez, I'm not the one grazing the goddamn flora and fauna like a fucking cow. It's just Mom, you know. Jack turned to the boy and waited until his son turned to him before he said, I know that, emphasizing the I element. Jack Jr. didn't look away, and it fell to Jack to break the eye contact. When he turned back to the kitchen window, Sally had almost reached the house. She was smiling. Like the cat that drank the cream, Jack's little voice whispered. You okay, honey? Jack said as Sally came into the house. In the small space before she replied, Jack heard rustling again, but when he turned around, there was nothing to be seen. Just J.J. walking away from him to the sitting room door. I'm fine, Sally said. It's nice out there. Jack nodded. He heard the living room door click shut behind him. I know, he said. I just got in. Uh-huh. Had the window down, Jack added, immediately feeling silly at his desire to explain why he didn't need to go out to the garden for fresh air. It had been a hell of a day, another big sale lost, and now Lou Stenley was on his case, wanting Jack and Sally to go walking with him and Martha out into the woods. There was something going on in that family, Jack thought. Lou was just not himself all day. It's lovely out there, Sally said. Jack craned his head to see into the garden. What were you doing? Just tidying up. I thought I'd left it pretty neat. I was only out there yesterday. The wind, Sally said, her voice soft. 
blows everything around. The leaves, you mean? Sally nodded. It was Jack Jr. who pointed it out to me. Yeah? Yes. Do you want to come and see? Jack pulled his mouth tightly closed and shook his head. Uh Uh-uh. I had enough fresh air for the day. Sally searched Jack's face and then smiled. Okay, she said. Then she turned away from him and wandered over to the wash basin. I'll make dinner. How does an omelet sound to you? She said over her shoulder as she turned on the faucet. The sudden normality was profoundly reassuring to Jack, and he felt himself relax. An omelet sounds just fine. Okay, give me twenty minutes. I'll go watch the news. Oh, I think Jack Jr. wanted to show you something in the basement. Yeah? The relaxing feeling had suddenly taken a turn for the worse. But what the hell was he anxious about? His son? His eight-year-old son, for Christ's sake, wanted to show him something in the basement. Where was the harm in that? The harm in that, compadre, the inner voice said, is that you going down in the basement put Sally behind you. Maybe after dinner, I just want to flop right now. Okay, honey, flop away. As he pressed the button on the remote, Jack heard the boards creak in the hallway and then the basement door clicked shut. He turned the volume up a little so that he wouldn't be able to hear his son clumping down the steps, which would mean J.J. had been listening to the conversation. The anchor woman put on a somber expression as she told Jack about the worsening problem in the Middle East. He closed his eyes. Honey? Yeah, Jack said sleepily. Martha Stanley called today. Jack's eyes snapped open, but he didn't move from his slouched position. Yeah? The woman on the news was now complaining about the price of gasoline, like you had to worry about a few cents more on a gallon. Now she and Lou want us to go for a walk with them. Yeah, Lou said something about that. Sally appeared from the kitchen, whisking eggs in a bowl. I said that would be a nice thing to do. Are you okay with that? Jack looked sideways at her, keeping his face towards the TV. Where'd she want to go walking? The woods, Sally said over her shoulder. Jack felt his pulse quicken. We'll see, he said. Let's just wait and see. He closed his eyes and was amazed to discover that he felt himself falling towards sleep almost immediately. Honey? Jack opened his eyes and looked straight into his wife's face. She was smiling. So was Jack Jr. They were both smiling. I said dinner's ready, dear, Sally said, as she pointed over to the kitchen. Jack could see the plate sitting right there on the table. We cooked you some leaves, honey. Jack Jr. and me, you like them, honey. Jack Jr. and I love them, don't we, Jack Jr.? J.J. nodded excitedly. When he opened his mouth, a torrent of steaming fresh mulch flooded out and all over Jack's pants. Jesus Christ, Jack snapped, leaping to his feet. He was alone in the room, the TV still playing. A rerun of the Beverly Hillbillies.
You say something, honey? Sally called from the kitchen. J.J. came into view, standing at the kitchen door, watching his father. So J.J. was in there as well. We cooked you some leaves, honey. Jack Jr. and me. What are we having? I told you, sweetie. Omelets. Omelets, Jack said. He felt groggy. Got it in one, Sally said cheerfully. You know, Jack said, affecting a frown, I'm feeling a little queasy. He rubbed his stomach. Sally nodded. Really? Is it bad? She seemed concerned. Jack nodded to her, and then he nodded to J.J., who didn't look quite so concerned. You want some Pepto-Bismol, Sally said. Jack started to move so quickly that he felt momentarily dizzy and had to hold the arm of the sofa to keep upright. It was a stroke of good fortune because both Sally and Jack Jr. took a step toward him, holding out a steadying hand. I'm fine, he said. I just got up too fast. He wandered into the kitchen, watching their reflections in the window. They stayed where they were as he opened the medicine cupboard above the microwave. He palmed the small pack of Pepto-Bismol tablets and made a big deal out of rummaging. They're in there, Jack, Sally said loudly from the sitting room. Then she was standing right next to him. She must be wearing some new lingerie, Jack thought, the way it rustled when she moved. Jack jumped. Jesus, you scared the life out of me. You're tense, she said, as she reached past him and checked through the packets and bottles. Jack stepped back and, checking the reflection once more, his son had seated himself at the kitchen table in front of one of the omelets. He casually slipped the tablets into his pants pocket. They were there, Sally said. She stepped back and closed the door. Turning to Jack, she said, I know they were in there, Jack. But they're not there now, Mom, J.J. said from the table. No, J.J., they're not there now. Jack shrugged. No worries. I'll drive out to the drugstore and get a pack, or maybe a bottle. He lifted his jacket from the breakfast counter and jiggled it, reassured to hear his car keys. I always think drinking that stuff is more effective than chewing the tablets. Jack walked straight to the door, opened it wide, and shouted over his shoulder, Won't be long. As he closed the door, he saw how true that statement was likely to be. One of the back tires was flat. Oh, God, Jack thought. He dared not turn around because he just knew they were both at the kitchen window. He made as though he hadn't seen the flat, aiming to move towards the driver's door and then hightail it around the corner of the house. Of course, at that point, the chips would be down. Even Jack, he of the velvet slippery tongue, was not going to be able to explain away running down the street at seven o'clock on an October evening. But he didn't have much. The sound of the car engine came to Jack's ears at almost exactly the same moment as he heard the door open behind him. Then Wallace and Deirdre Dieterman's son Everett's bruised and rusted Toyota Camry came into view. Just as it pulled up before turning into Wallace's driveway, Jack made a big deal out of noticing the flat. Jack? Oh, shit. Jack, honey, why'd you come? Oh, hey, Everett. 
Everett hit the brakes and Jack could hear things that had previously been sitting on the back seat clatter onto the floor of the Toyota. Hey, Mr. Fanshawe. He heard Sally's footsteps. Honey? It's okay, sweetie, Jack said without turning around. Dad? More footsteps. Jack walked around Everett Dieterman's car and pulled open the passenger door without saying a word. Drive, was all Jack could think of to say. Mr. Fenshaw? Drive the fucking car, Everett. Sally had stopped, but now J.J. was striding forward past Jack's Dodge Charger and heading straight for the pavement, looking determined. Everett looked around and saw Jack's son. He was about to say something like... Hey, J.J., how's it hanging? But Jack grabbed a hold of his arm and said, Look, my wife is sick and I need to go to the pharmacy. But she's trying to stop me because she doesn't want to put me to any trouble. And now my tire's flat. If they get over here, they'll talk me out of it. So can we just drive, please? Everett looked at him for a few seconds and then, without looking out of the side window at the rapidly approaching Jack Jr., who, for all of his eight years, was striding purposefully toward Everett's car as though he was older than Everett, took his foot from the brake pedal and hit the gas. For a moment, Jack fully expected the car to stall and his son to reach them and suggest that, why don't you come back inside, Dad? You're upsetting Mom, or something like that. But the car surged forward and Jack watched J.J. grind to a halt just a few feet away from where they'd been and simply turned to watch them. Thanks, Everett, Jack said, turning around at his seat. Appreciate that. Everett nodded and kept watching the road as it snaked around the woods and headed back to the highway into town. Uh, Mr. Fenshaw? Yeah? Look, it's none of my business, right? What is it, Everett? All that stuff? Your wife, Mrs. Fenshaw? "'About how she's sick and all, and you're going for medicine?' Jack nodded. "'Well,' Everett said, glancing once at Jack and then facing forward again. "'Like I say, it's... it's none of it any... just say what's on your mind, Everett.' "'Okay.' He pulled the car over to the side of the road. "'Everett, what are you doing?' Jack looked around and saw only trees. Their dark shapes standing right alongside the car seeming to be crowding them in. When a small flurry of leaves blew against the window, he fought off the desire to lock the door. I'm going to turn around, Mr. Fenshaw, Everett was saying. I'm going... Jack turned back to face him. You're doing what? I'm going back. You're going back? Jack was starting to feel like a parrot. I think you need to think about what you're... Everett, you have absolutely no... This is for the best, mister. Everett, listen to me now. Jack took a hold of the boy's arm just as he was about to move the shift into D. Let me tell... My mind's made up here, Mr. Fenshaw. My mom and dad... Everett, just hear me out here, okay? They'll go buckfuck. Excuse my language here, Mr. Fenshaw... But they'll go buckfuck if they find out I've driven one of their best friends away from the family home, away from his... Ever... They think the world of Mrs. Fenshaw, Mr. Fenshaw, they... Will you just... That's what you're doing, isn't it? You're leaving her. 
Everett! Haven't you seen the squid and the whale, Mr. Fenshaw? Jack didn't say anything to that. What did it mean? Was it some kind of code? A test? Was Everett Dieterman? Was he one of them? The movie? Did you see it? Divorce sucks, Mr. Fenshaw. Think of Jack Jr. Everett, ever... Mrs. Fenshaw, she isn't sick at all, is she? Jack didn't say anything, but he felt his face starting to sag. Everett shook his head. You haven't thought this through, Mr. Fenshaw. You haven't thought this through at all. I mean, you know, that story? He mimicked Jack's deep voice. Hey, Everett, I need a lift to the pharmacy to pick up medicine. He chuckled and rubbed his chin. I gotta tell you, Mr. Fenshaw, that sucked. And I mean big time here. Jack let go of the boy's arm. He held up his hands, a gesture of peace and calm. His mouth was claggy and dry, and he had to lick his lips before he could start speaking. Okay, he said, glancing out the window. Here's the deal. My wife and Jack Jr., our son. Everett nodded. Jack clasped his hands on his lap and sank back into the leather seat of the old Toyota. They're not... There's something wrong with them. Everett shook his head emphatically this time. Look, I already told you, Mr. Fenshaw, I'm just not buying that. I don't mean they're sick, Everett. I mean they're... He shrugged. They're not who you think they are? Everett frowned. It's the leaves, Jack said. The leaves? I think they've... The tap on the Jack's side window made both of them jump, Jack mainly, clutching his chest and grimacing. Jack, you okay in there? Hey, Everett. Sheriff Montaigne. Hi, Ralph, Jack said. He pressed the window release, but Everett had turned off the engine. Everett turned the keys and Jack rolled down the window. Everything okay here? Jack nodded. Sheriff Ralph Montaigne looked over at Everett. Having trouble? Jack shook his head and tried not to stammer. Just talking. He turned to Everett. Everett nodded and echoed Jack. Just talking. Where are you headed? Where are you headed when you've quit all the talking? In the town, Jack said. To get medicine, Everett added helpfully. You sick, Jack? Jack shook his head. Uh-uh, Sally. Sally's sick? I just saw her. She looked fine to me. You a doctor now, Ralph? Jack asked. He figured that what he was saying sounded so weak and implausible, did they mean the same thing, that he might just as well be bold. He winked at Ralph. Woman trouble. You know what I'm saying here, Ralph. Ralph smiled. I guess I'd rather not answer that right out, if you know what I mean, Jack. I think I do, Ralph, Jack said. I think I do. Nobody said anything then for just a minute. Then Ralph broke the silence. Sally said for me to tell you she's sorry, Jack. Sorry? There you go, Mr. Fenshaw, Everett Dieterman said. She say what she was sorry for, Jack asked, ignoring Everett. 
Ralph Montaigne pushed up his hat and frowned. Teasing you, she said. Your boy, too. My boy? Jack Jr.? Yep, he was there, too. Both of them. Said they was sorry. Your boy was real embarrassed. He says he let your car tire down. Dumb thing to do, if you ask me, Jack. Though I know he ain't. He was my boy. I'd make sure he knew that for quite some time, Ralph added. But Sally, she was a little tearful. He nodded across Everett, gave him a wink. Set for you to come on home. We were just on our way, Sheriff, Everett said. Couldn't have gone any further that way anyways, Ralph said, standing up fully alongside the car window and pointing ahead into the gloom. Not in the car, anyways. Why is that, Ralph? Jack asked. Bunch of trees down about two miles up the road. Only way to get around them is on foot. Leave your car this side. Oh, I wasn't going with him, Everett protested. Uh Uh-huh. You'd have had to leave him there then, Everett. Be a long hike in the town, Jack, just so long as you know. I just came up from town, Everett said. Only just happened, Ralph Montaigne said, leaning down to give them both the benefit of his smile. Like I said, be a long hike in the town, but if you've a mind to do that, then you go right ahead. No law against stubbornness, not that I know of anyways. But like I said, you got yourself an apology. Ralph tipped his hat and stood up again. Be seeing you, fellas, he said. You maybe need to rein in that boy of yours, Jack, not that it's any of my business. Jack turned around and watched Ralph Montaigne walk all the way back to his cruiser, pleased to see him get in. It must have been the uniform, fresh pressed and all, that made that rustling sound. Jack could hear it almost over the clumping of the sheriff's boots. Let me take you home, Everett said. Jack didn't say anything. He just stared ahead out of the windshield as Everett turned the Camry around and headed back. 9. Tuesday Night You forgiven me, honey? Sally's voice was maybe just a little too coochie-coo for Jack as they made their way up to bed with J.J. down for the night in his own room. But Jack was starting to feel a little better, and he returned his wife's wave as she disappeared into the bathroom. Why don't you get ready for me, honey? She shouted. Jack thought that was maybe just a little too loud. He could have sworn he heard a snigger from J.J.'s room, but when he listened at the door, all he could hear now was heavy breathing that was almost snoring. It had all been a huge tease, Sally had explained. The leaves, Jack Jr. eating wads of them. J.J. had laughed like he was about to burst at that one. Laughed maybe just a little too excitedly for Jack, but he was just letting all this stuff flow right over him. And at last the boy had the gumption to search out Jack's old foot pump from the garage. That's what he was doing whenever a dealerman dropped Jack back at the house. J.J. waving just like a son of an old post cover painted by Rockwell, pumping on the old foot pump, and Sally standing at the door wiping her hands on her apron, hair blowing in the October breeze. Hell, the only thing missing from the whole scene was a white picket fence. Jack had listened to the whole thing, told part by Sally and part by J.J., 
the boy coming clean about how gross it had been eating those things. But where'd they come from? Jack had asked. And how come Phil Murray hadn't known what the leaves were? Sally had shrugged at that one, watched carefully by Jack Jr., Jack now recalled, standing in the bedroom he shared with Sally, folding his clothes and neatly stacking them on the chair next to his side of the bed. He slipped under the sheets and stretched out his legs. He should be feeling okay now, but there was still something niggling him. But it had been a busy few days, and all Jack wanted to do now was sleep. Just as he was drifting off to sleep, he realized what it was that had been niggling him. The rustling. And now he recognized the sound. He heard it in his memory at exactly the same time as he heard the light pole click off in the bathroom. He saw himself in that all-so-perfect mind's eye of memory, carrying black refuse bags filled with leaves, carrying them out to the old Dodge Charger to take down to the municipal dump, and he could hear them rustling. Jack turned his face to the door, unclasped his hands and made to sit up. There was really no place for him to go right now, and boy, did he ever feel vulnerable. Then Sally looked around the door. Sally stepped into the room and turned off the overhead light. Then she pushed the door closed behind her. She was naked, except for the white lace sleep pants she wore, the ones with the baggy wide legs. Jack liked those. That must be where the rustling was coming from. She slipped into the bed and pulled the sheets over herself. Jack snuggled up behind her and blew on her neck. He was tired, but maybe he wasn't that tired. Just as he slid his arm around Sally's waist, Jack heard the click of J.J.'s door. Shit, what was the matter now? He rested his arm on Sally's bare skin and felt it sink. Then the door opened. Mom? Dad? J.J. said as he stepped into the room's gloom and flicked on the overhead switch. Jack moved his hand around on Sally, on her side, her back, her bottom. There was something very seriously wrong here. What is it, Jack Jr.? He heard Sally say as she started to turn around. Jack was still checking out his wife. There seemed to be no bones in her body. Find anything you like, honey, Sally said. The sheriff's here, Jack Jr. announced. Sally was almost fully around now while Jack continued to press down on her skin, feeling whatever was in there, certainly not flesh, or liver, kidneys, lungs, colon, anything substantial. It made that unmistakable rustling sound. Downstairs, someone thumped on the screen door. Then glass broke. After a few seconds, Jack could hear footsteps moving through the sitting room, things falling over. Sally? was all Jack could think of to say. Jack Jr. has something for you, dear, Sally said. J.J. took a step closer to the bed. Jack heard clumping on the stairs. 
slow clumping. Sally, something's wrong with... She was facing him now, her smile almost sad. Regretful, perhaps. Then as the smile widened, Sally spat something into her hand. She held her open hand out to him. Teeth, Jack said. She nodded and smiled wider, and Jack saw the leaves. There was nothing else in there that he could make out. I'm dreaming, Jack thought, although he had a niggling feeling that he wasn't. Then the door opened and the lower half of what appeared to be Sheriff Ralph Montaigne came into the room, leaves spilling out from his severed waist, the top half of him hanging down and slapping against his backside like a burst balloon. And there was something moving in there, something dark and wizened, gnarled and spindly, lifting itself out as the legs clumped in. Jack's mouth fell open in a mixture of astonishment. J.J. stepped forward and jammed two handfuls of leaves inside his father's mouth, filling it completely. Make sure you chew well, Dad, J.J. whispered, and Sally reached over and pinched Jack's nose tight. J.J. started unbuttoning his PJs, and Jack could see something moving inside the boy's stomach there below the skin, and his son's head seemed to be falling backwards much farther than it had any right to go, a deep gash opening up in his neck and leaves tumbling out like it was the start of autumn all over again. As Jack looked away into the ruin of Sally's face, struggling hard to breathe now, he was going to have to chew, just so he could breathe. He glanced down and saw that there was something tearing its way out of her chest, spiky, twig-like fingers hooking themselves around flaps of skin and pulling them aside. Jack was disappointed to note that after all these years, he had wet the bed, and so in some ways he was thankful when J.J. stumbled backwards and hit the light switch, plunging the room into blackness. And in other ways, he wasn't. That was Peter Crowther's Leaves, as read by Martin Rato. In a variegated working life, Martin has been a parent, a technical writer, and a software developer, a teacher of creative writing, computer science, and business communication, symphony musician, and audiobook narrator. He has published short fiction and two collections of his poetry. Thank you, Martin. That will be our show for the evening, Children of the Night. Our show was produced by our editors Philip Oldham and Scott Silk, and theme music by David Raiklin. Join us again next week for another episode of Tales to Terrify. Mm-hmm.